go to John chapter 5. If you would turn to John chapter 5 in your Bible, I'd appreciate that. We, uh, we're going through the sermon series, Written So That You Might Believe, and it is a harmony of the gospel. So we're taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and harmonizing them together in as best as we can, chronological order, uh, and, and helping us to understand what is being taught here. But what, as we go through this, there's kind of a, a, a disclaimer. It's not your typical, let's go through a book of the Bible, because that takes a while, right? As we know, Hoyt has preached through Philippians, and that took quite a long time. It does when he preached once every six weeks or seven weeks or so, so that's okay. But uh, we, we like to be, you know, go through every verse methodically, right? Uh, well, I looked at the text that I'm to be preaching uh, for this week, right? And when I looked at this text, I'm like, wait a minute, that, that can't be right. They want me to preach what? And so, and that's not they. They is me and Alistair as we've kind of come through a, 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 a schedule. But the text we're covering today is John chapter 5, all of it, 1 through 47, right? So we are, and, and we'll hit the highlights, and, and uh, Dave uh, Holst read uh, the first part of it already for us. I'm not going to read the entire thing again. Uh, you can go back and, and read it on your own. But we aren't going verse by verse. We want to see some themes. And really the theme we're seeing as we look at the harmony of the Gospels uh, in, this, in this series is from our, our theme passage of John uh, and in chapter 20. It says that these things were written, right, for you and for me. These were written so that you and I would believe that Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. So today, as we look at that text of John chapter 5, all of it, right, and, and, and understand the highlights, we aren't understanding every single word and every single phrase. Uh, that can come in another sermon series when we go over the book of John. But what we are seeing is, what is who's on scene, what's the story, and how does that relate to me knowing he's the Messiah and believing and having life in his name? And that's the context for today. We have been cruising through uh, our way you know, through this, this sermon series, um, and we're seeing how Christ has been authenticated as the Messiah. We see that, hey, the, he is the Messiah, and he, and he wants us to know, God wants us to know, the, the Spirit does in others, we'll see that today. But he's being authenticated as the Messiah, uh, the true king of Israel and, and the holy one, the true one of God. And he's the one true God. Recently, as Alistair brought and preached uh, the message earlier, uh, we saw how his authority authenticates himself. So he had authority over, over physical ailments. He had authority to forgive sin. And, and, and that, that's, that's big. And people are watching this. And the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are saying, wait a minute, I, I don't think I like this. And we'll see that escalate even today. Today we see it in the most abrupt way as he validates himself through not only another healing, but he validates himself as he claims to be equal with God. And today what we see is the Father working in and through the Son, and, and that they are co-equal. The sermon title today is The Father is Working. Uh, there is a little bit to talk about today about the Sabbath in this text, and, and we'll brief on that. It won't be a, a sermon about the Sabbath, but we'll talk about that briefly. Um, before we get there, I want us to, to think about this, this phrase. Uh, it's, it's been a big thing recently, and it was uh, during the Super Bowl, one of the, one of the commercials, they, they actually um, put a spot on for one of the commercials. Uh, it's that, the, the slogan, He Gets Us. You seen that? Right? It's He Gets Us. You see it on billboards or on, on uh, social media posts, and they're, they're wanting to make sure, hey, He Gets Us. Now, I, I, I look at that, and I've actually gone to the website, at least I did about a month and a half ago, and I looked through some content, and I thought, man, that's, this, these guys are squared away with their, their gospel, they understand, we need a Savior, it's awesome. But there is a danger in that. He gets us. If I say he gets us, or if I hear he gets us, I might think, I, I'm doing what I'm doing, and you know what? God gets it. Which is what? What am I saying? 
He's okay with me. He's okay with where I'm at. He's okay with what I'm doing. He gets us. He gets it. He was here. He gets it. Right? And, and we'll all be okay in the end. That's a danger there, right? So it, the real question is, yeah, he gets us. He understands our sin. And, he, and the scripture says that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, but he was without sin. But he came down not because he gets us. He came down to get us. He came down to draw us out of sin and separation and death and to bring us into life. And so here's the question I would rather want to pose to you and I. Not only do we know God gets us and he loves us just the way we are, but we also know he doesn't want to leave us that way. He wants us to be just like Jesus. So there is a, a difference there, isn't there? Not just that he loves you just the way you are, but he doesn't want to leave you like that. He wants to renew you and remake you and clothe you in his righteousness and then, then help you grow up to be more and more like himself. The question for you and I to ask after we say something like he gets us is this, do, do we get him? Do we get him? I think it's something we'll see today as we go through this text that, that a lot of people didn't get him. A lot of people didn't want to get him. And not only did not to comprehend him, right? That's the idea of, do you get him? Do you, do you understand him? Do you comprehend who he is and what he's doing and why he's here? The whole premise of this series, the whole premise of the book of John is to say, hey, these are written. This is showing you that he's the Messiah so you would believe and have life. Do you get it? And we, when we get it, we can actually get him, like have him personally as our treasure, as our, as our friend, as our savior. And that is so important. It's more important than knowing just that he gets us. In fact, knowing that he gets us should push us to the point of knowing that I need him. I need more of him. I need to get him more. So today, I'm not going to, again, read through the entire text because it's 47 verses. Uh, Dave read through the first part of it already. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get right into our sermon. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask that you would give us insight to your word, that you would help us to see who you are and who we are. You would challenge us and, and shape us and form us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. We thank you for what he has done. We thank you that we can worship him, that he, can be, he is our Savior through faith in Christ. We thank you for what he has accomplished. We ask now that you would help us get him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of the sermon today is The Father is Working. We went through a few different versions of that, but that kind of was what we landed. That's the best kind of, I think, idea here. The Father is working. And, and so we're looking at a few things, a few ways the Father is working. Number one, the Father is working to heal from sin. The Father is working to heal from sin. Let's look at John 5, if you're with me there. Uh, let's look at verses 5 through 8, and then we'll jump down to verse 14. This is, the whole thing has already been read, but it said this. Uh, one man was there. This is at that pool, right? Um, Bethesda. And then the man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. Ouch, right? Long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I, I would underline that in your Bible if I was you. Do you want to get well? Verse 7, Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. So this man says, Jesus asked, do you want to get well? And what does the man say? Well, I, I just can't. And he starts to put out excuses of why he's not able to get well. 
He says, you know, there's something that happens at this pool. We know it. It starts to stir up with the water's coming in. We know that's the time to get in. And, and by the time I'm, I'm down there or I've made it there or someone's helped me there, other people have already gotten in. They cut in line. I, I, I just can't get well. What did Jesus say? Verse 8. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now, Jesus slips away here. And then we go down to verse 14. Uh, it says, After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Ooh, ouch. Right? It's, it's, it's not just, hey, you're well. I'm, I'm here to heal and be the Savior. I get you. The Father is working. He gets us. In fact, He gets us so much that the Father is working to heal us from sin. So what was Jesus saying here? And one of the things, that, before we touch on that, the question comes up, was this person, this, this man that was an invalid, when he was healed, was he saved? Was he saved from his sin? We, we know in the past, Jesus has forgiven sin, and there was, there was expressions of faith. The, the truth is, we don't know. We don't know. I, I would kind of doubt it. I think Jesus did something amazing for this man so that something else could be accomplished, but he did go say, say something deeper. So what is he telling this man when he comes to him and says, hey, uh, you, you've been healed, you're well, now stop sinning so this doesn't happen or something worse doesn't happen. I think here's what Jesus says. He says, I, I've sought you out now after you've been healed. I've sought you out to tell you the point of what I did for you. I, I, I healed your body with the aim that it would lead to the healing of your soul. We get that? I think sometimes we just want the, the stuff from Jesus. Like, just heal me, make me better, and, and I'll be on my way. That, that's great for a little while. I don't know, about 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And then what? We die anyway. So Jesus says, yeah, I, I healed you with the aim and the point of healing your soul. I, I conquered your sickness with a view of conquering your sin. And that needs to be conquered, right? I healed you for the sake of your salvation and your holiness. He's revealing himself. Yeah, I'm, I'm the great physician. I can heal. In, in fact, the text says there were lots of people there. He saw this one, and he chose this one, and he healed this one. And he went on his way. He wants to deal with our sin, not just our physical ailment, but our sin, our soul. So what does this mean for us? When we look at this in the context, what is Jesus maybe challenging us with? I think a couple things. One is this question, how long have you suffered? How long have we suffered? This man suffered for 38 years, right? A lot of commentators say it's, it's similar to how long Israel wandered around in the desert, kind of aimlessly, under discipline of the Lord. How long have you suffered? And maybe I'll ask, how long will you suffer? Next question, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Jesus asked that question, didn't he? He came up to the person who's laying down on a mat beside this pool, can't move, and he says, do you want to get well? That really seems like a dumb question to me. But it wasn't. You know why? He'd been there for 38 years trying the same thing over and over again. And, and the last thing I think he encourages is stop sinning. And for you and I, it, there needs to be a repentant faith where we turn from our sin, turn from our ways, turn from our agenda, and we turn to the Lord in faith. But that's, that's one of the greatest ways we sin is, is unbelief. Belief is required. Faith is required for salvation. 
So how long have you suffered? Maybe you brought that upon yourself. Maybe I brought that upon myself. Maybe because I'm living in disbelief and, and I really don't want to get well. I, I say I, I complain about my ailment. I complain about my status. I complain about my position. I, I complain about whatever it is. But really, I brought a lot of that upon myself. And Jesus is like, I, I, yeah, do you want to get well? Because I'm, I'm here for you if you want to get well. Stop the fighting. Stop the struggling. Stop the sinning. Repent and turn to me. That's the Jesus that can heal and forgive you and make you new. That's what God's Word does as well, as we turn to God's Word and let it transform and bring peace to our life. We see that God is a compassionate God, isn't he? He didn't come up and say, just stop sinning and then I'll heal you. He came up and said, you're well, get up. He healed the man so he could have that conversation. He often does that. He had compassion on people. He shows his kindness and his graciousness so he can then have a conversation about a deeper thing going on. We see this compassion in, in Matthew 11. Uh, Jesus is actually challenged by, by John's disciples, John the baptizer's disciples. He says, are you the one that's coming? Or We don't know. Like, he's like, here's what you tell them. Here's what you tell people. Here's the answer. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And blessed is he or the one who isn't offended by me. There are a lot who were offended by Jesus. Even, even some disciples or followers of John the Baptist, he needs to be more of a powerhouse here. He needs to be going into a place of authority and a kingship. Why is he not being the Messiah, the, the Holy One to sit on the throne of David right now? And Jesus says, the good news is what I'm about. I'm here to preach the good news. I'm here to, to heal and, and loosen the chains and raise the dead. Make sure the poor know the good news, that I'm here. And I get them and I'm here for them to forgive them of their sin. He has compassion and he has kindness. And his compassion and his kindness lead us to repentance is what Romans tells us. Paul says in Romans 2, Do you despise the riches of his kindness, his restraint, his patience? Not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's compassion and kindness leads us to repentance and faith in him. He says, because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day, uh, in, for in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. God gets you, and he wants to forgive you so you're not judged by him one day. It's, it's not just that you, oh, he, he can heal my body. No, he wants to forgive you of your sin, and he wants you to turn from that and turn to him. God is gracious and kind compassionate, and it's meant to lead us to repentance. It's God's grace that brought him to the pool that day. God's grace that Christ spoke to this man. It's God's, by God's grace that he was healed. It's by God's grace that he called him to repent of his sin. And now, God's grace calls out to you and me. He calls out to you and me. And I think he asks those questions. How long are you going to suffer? You really want to get well? And turn, repent of your sin, and trust in me as Savior. Or do you not know how blind and lame and paralyzed you might be? God's grace is ready if you're ready to be healed. The Father is working to heal and to give life. Number two, what we see in this story, the Father is working regardless of human constraints. Regardless of human constraints. Back to John 5. Let's look at verses 15 through 18 together. 
The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, let's stop here and just think about this for a minute. At one point, and this is done on the Sabbath, at one point they looked at him and said, wait a minute, you, you can't be t- picking up your mat. And I, I'm upset here that you're carrying your mat on the Sabbath. What? And then they say, he says, well, the man told me to get up. He made me do it. Well, who? And then he comes and says, oh, it's Jesus. It was, I, want, I think he's kind of deferring some, some guilt, saying, hey, this is, this is who is guilty, not me. And it kind of worked out here. It says, therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. What's interesting here is, I have this question. Do they even care that he's been healed? A man who was an invalid for 38 years is now walking upright. The man who had a mat carry him is now carrying a mat because of Jesus. They're like, that Jesus is doing this on the Sabbath. we got to get him. Are, what are they missing? What are they missing, church? They're missing everything. They're missing everything. And you and I tend to fall into that category as well. Jesus responded to them. My Father is still working, and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, so there's one charge, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Now, we weren't there. We read this and be like, wait a minute. He says my father's still working and I'm working too, and now now that means he's God? Well, maybe we don't read it like that. We don't see it like that, but they charged him with that. They said, "You you are saying he, God, the father is your father, and that he's working and you're working? What what?" What Jesus was saying to them was, I and the Father are one. And they knew it because they charged him with making himself equal to God. Now, let's talk about this charge of healing someone on the Sabbath. Shouldn't we realize that the one who created the Sabbath has authority over the Sabbath? I mean, this is Jesus in their midst, but they missed everything, right? They missed the fact that Jesus was in their midst, that that he was Lord and he is Lord of the Sabbath. He alone can determine the Sabbath's purpose and, and, and its uses and its limitations. He has the authority to do that. Man does not. Just because we have man-made rules and traditions, it does not mean the creator of the universe is limited by them. We like to think so, don't we? Oh, Jesus, he'll fit into my box perfectly. He'll do what I want him to do, and if he's outside of that, how dare he? Let's kill him. That, that's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. I want to read a description of what, what was the tradition of the day. Kind of absurd. You have the Mosaic law. You have the law that says the Sabbath. You keep the Sabbath and honor it. And what you shouldn't be doing is work. right? And so, so the uh, rabbis, the tradition, they, they decided we're going to add to that. We're going to make sure we define that. That's what we're going to define that for you. And they came up with 39 what they called father statutes. Right, parent statues. These are the ones. But underneath the parent statue were lots of descendants. So let, let me let me read this to you. Um. So thus, plowing was one of the thirty-nine. You couldn't plow, right? Plowing was one of the thirty-nine, and under it was classed digging. And digging included much. For example, it was forbidden to draw a chair along the ground lest it should be made. Or make a rut. That's plowing. 
And though it was permissible to spit on the pavement and rub it in with a foot, there was much debate whether it were permissible to perform the operation on the earth. Why? Because as you spit on the ground and rubbed it with your foot, the foot would then scratch the surface. How dare you? Time to go throw rocks at you now. Man-made traditions and laws. Another of the father works was carrying a burden, and it had a large brood of descendants. To walk with a crutch or a wooden leg was permissible, but to go on stilts was forbidden. I didn't know they had that problem back then. (laughs) Since it was not the stilts that carried the man, but the man that carried the stilts. Neither was it permissible to wear false teeth or uh, extravagant garment. A tailor must not go abroad with his needle nor a scribe with his pen towards the sunset on Friday, lest the Sabbath would begin. uh, That's when the Sabbath would begin. Um, Another father work was reaping. And this included the plucking of an ear or a blade. You can't reap your fields. So further on to that, a woman must not look into a mirror on the Sabbath day, lest she should discover a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out. This would be classified as reaping. The absurdity, right? This is what Jesus is dealing with. How dare you? Do this on the Sabbath. How dare you carry a mat that was carrying you for 38 years? How dare you? Wait a minute. What, what, why are we so obsessed with the what and the hows here? And we miss, see, when we're obsessed with the what's and the hows, we miss the who. We miss Jesus. And that's not what we ought to be doing. Um, about the Sabbath, we, we shouldn't make it about what I cannot do that's what they did. And, and later we see in different scriptures that the Sabbath is for man, not the man for Sabbath. Right? The man for Sabbath is, oh man, there's a Sabbath right there. I'm going to create all of these ways that that will become Sabbath and God will be honored by Sabbath. And God's like, wait a minute, I gave you the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for you. I want, I want you to find rest. And you're working so hard to avoid it. That's what they're doing. They're working so hard to avoid rest so they could say we kept the Sabbath. It's not about what I cannot do. It should be about what God intends to do for me. That's what the Sabbath is. In fact, I want you to think about how this was installed because we have Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Early on, what we see, we see creation, right? God created the heavens and the earth. He created them in six days. And on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that he had done. And that was to be a model and an example for all of humanity. In fact, when the Sabbath was in the Ten Commandments, he honored the Sabbath just as God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh, so too man should work for six days and then rest on the seventh day. God gave a model of that. God himself rested on the seventh day. And then, as creation went forward, we see sin enter the world, right? Sin enter the world, and death enter the world, and decay and separation enter the world, that all of humanity has run amok, and they're separated from God. And ever since sin entered the world, the Son and the Father have been what? What have they been doing? Working. They have been working. The Father and the Son are working. You, you can't stop. He, he won't stop. He's chasing after you and me. You know, what he's, you know what they're trying to do? The Father and Son are working right now, today on the Sabbath, our Sabbath, right? And they're working yesterday and the day before and every Sabbath since. Why? 
to create Sabbath for us. To give you and you and you and me rest in our souls. That's what Jesus is up to. That's what the Father is doing. That's what the Son is doing. That's what the Spirit is doing for us. We say, oh, you shouldn't be working on the Sabbath, Jesus. No, 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 trust me. You need me to work on the Sabbath. You need me to be working on the Sabbath. He said in Matthew 12, another instance here of, of healing on the Sabbath. He said, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Speaking about man making the Sabbath instead of the Sabbath being for man. You would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Father's working. And He's not working within human constraints. The Father is working through the Son, regardless of human constraints, so that you and I can have rest. Finally, number three, the Father is working through the Son. And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time, cruising through the rest of this book, the rest of this chapter, starting in verse 17. There's two sections here. This, this whole text now turns into testimony. And this is what we need to see. This is testimony about what God uh, is doing through Christ. So now uh, they said, hey, you can't claim equality with God. And he says, well, let me show you why it's true. Instead of being like, oh, oh yeah, you're you're right. I, oh, I misspoke about that. Let me, let me kind of clear this up for you so you don't accuse me. He says, I'm going to stand and let you know why this is true. So as we look at the Father working through the Son, there's two sections of testimony. One is that Jesus claimed, himself claimed, equality with God, the Father. In, in what ways? Well, he claimed it in his works, through his works. Look at verses 17 and 19, through 19. <clears throat> Jesus responded to them, My Father is working and I am working also. Again, this is why they said, we're going to kill you. You're making yourself equal with God. Whether we, whether we see that or not, again, right, whether we understand that connection, they saw it. And I think we'll understand it more here in verse 19. Jesus said, truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. Interesting, right? This is also, we saw this also a claim to deity, his claim to deity in John chapter 10. And we're looking at verses 22 to 30 real quick. It says, The festival of dedication had taken place, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple of Solomon's colonnade. The Jews surrounded him, excuse me, and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? Are you the Messiah? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So again, they're like, Are are you the one? We We think we've heard that. You. Are you, don't keep us in suspense anymore. And Jesus went on. He said, I did tell you, and you don't believe me. Right? His testimony is, is there. He's claimed equality with the Father, and it's, it's equal in his, uh, by evidence of his works. Uh, you, don't, you don't believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. What do they testify? Right? But you don't believe because you are not my sheep. I think this goes back to the question, are, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? Is there a willingness in your heart? You don't hear my voice, he says. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So wait, you're saying no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand because he's greater than all and no one can snatch them out of your hand. What does that mean? Verse 30. 
I and the Father are one. It's no wonder they wanted to kill him. He was saying he was God. He, he was the Son of God, the begotten God of God. God who had put on flesh and dwelled among us. He says, I and the Father are one. We see that, that the Father's working through the Son, and Jesus can claim that he's equal to the Father through his works. He also claims that he's equal to the, to the Father in honor. <clears throat> in verse 23 of our text, he says, So that all people may honor the Son so, uh, just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This is huge. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm equal with the Father in honor. This is important for you and I, as we have friends who may not like Jesus very much. They might say, oh yeah, I believe in God. I honor God. What does Jesus say? You can't honor God unless you honor the Son. Unless Jesus is honored, God isn't honored. So don't let your friends fool you. Don't fool yourself that, well, I, I believe in some God or some higher power. I, I believe something about someone, so I'm okay. I honor that higher power. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, if you don't honor me, God is not honored. It's all about what you do with Jesus. In fact, we see that he is honored by the Father. He's exalted in Philippians 2. He, he, he says because he went to the cross and he rose from the dead, God highly exalted him and gave Jesus the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is not just claiming to be co-equal. God the Father is saying, He is. He is, and He is to be exalted unto the glory of God. So he's, he, we see that the Son is claiming equality in works and in honor. We see Him claiming equality in His power to give life. Going back to John chapter 5, let's look at verse 21. The gist of the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so, so also the Son gives life to whom He wants. And he didn't raise anyone from the dead yet, but He's going to. Verse 24, it says, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. What? Wow. And this, this riles them up, right? You're, you're saying, you're claiming life is in you? Yeah. In verse 25, I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life, this here it is, just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. Jesus does not just you know, get life. He is life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through the Son. We see him testifying more. I'm co-equal with the, with the Father in, in the power to give life. I'm also co-equal with the Father in, in my authority to judge life. I can give life and I can judge life life. He goes on. Uh, verse 22 says, the Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Well, wait, and this, this would rile up the Pharisees. The Pharisees know, God is our judge. He will judge. And what Jesus is saying, no, no, he's given me, me the right to judge. I'm, I'm the begotten of God. I'm God of God in the flesh. I will be the judge. And in verse 27, it says, and he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. Uh, make a little note in your margin there to look up Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is a reference. When he says son of man, he, and the way he says it here is referencing back to the Daniel prophecy about the one, God, coming and establishing dominance and authority. So now, now the Pharisees are like, well, wait, well, you said what? He must have misspoke, right? No, no, he did not misspeak. 
He's the Son of Man. He says, do not be amazed at this. Amazed at what? That I'm the Son of Man. Do not be amazed. A time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice, Jesus' voice, and they will come out. And those who have done good things, right, to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. Every soul will be moved and risen to the voice of Jesus Christ. But those who have repented of sin and turned in faith to Jesus Christ, they will be given life eternal with him. Those that have rejected the Messiah, the ones that are listening to the Messiah speak as, as he goes through this, they will suffer condemnation for their sin. They will perish in their sins. There's authority to judge. Acts chapter 17, 30 and 31 says this, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands, he's like, okay, fine. Maybe you didn't quite understand, didn't quite get it, but now God commands all people everywhere to repent of sin because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. That is who? Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus. That wasn't very convincing. Who? Jesus. Thank you. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. You tried to kill him. You tried to snuff him out. You didn't like that he said he was co-equal to God. You didn't like that he said he could raise the dead. Uh, he didn't like that he, there, he said there's life in him. But guess what? There's life in him. Why? Because you killed him and he rose from the dead. He conquered death. You can't hold him back. He has the authority to judge life. So we see that Jesus, uh, one, of the, one of the ways that Jesus went forward and said, I, I, I'm, uh, as a witness, he claimed to be equal with God. The next area we see are the actual witnesses that give testimony. So Jesus gave testimony, and now he says, let's, let's change it up a little bit. Let's have other witnesses give testimony. So we see John 5, 31 through 35. The first witness that gives testimony is John the baptizer. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. What's he saying? I can say it all day long, but what? You aren't going to believe me, Right? You already don't believe me, so let's go on. He says, there's another who testifies about me. So I, I, I'm done testifying about myself, uh, and, and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He's like, I don't, I don't need human testimony. I've said who I am. I've, I've showed you who I am. I am co-equal with the Father. I am here for you. But since you don't believe me, John said it, and, and I didn't need him to, to do that, but I, I let that happen so that you could be saved and rescued. There's someone else that gives testimony. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were, oh, this is interesting, you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. They were willing. Go back to that question. Do you want to be well? At, at some point in some time, there was a bit of willingness to receive what was coming through John. Well, what did what did John say? That was such a testimony. Well, here, here's what he said in John 1. He says this in verse 23. He said, I'm a voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He's like, I'm the one preparing the way, just as Isaiah the prophet had said. In verse 29, he, he says, uh, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. So he's preparing a way for the Lord. And then the next day he sees Jesus coming. And he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There he is. He's making straight the path for the Lord. There in his midst and in his sights is the Lord. He says, there he is. There's the Lord, Jesus. And then verse 34, he says this, I have seen, John is speaking, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So that's none of Jesus' testimony, is it? 
Jesus is like, rely on John the baptizer. If you don't believe me, rely on him. You at least were willing a little bit to listen. Well, let's go on. We see, we see this, uh, the, the, what else testifies? Well, his works again. His works are a testimony, which is interesting. Again, they're, they're challenging Jesus because he healed someone on the Sabbath. That was breaking the law. And they're challenging Jesus because he's claiming to be equal to the Father. All the while, right in their midst, is someone staring them face to face, someone who's been healed by Jesus. Shouldn't that work speak for itself? But they're about the what, right? And the, and the, and the, the how, and not about the who. So the works should speak for themselves. Verse 36, I have greater testimony than that of John's because the works that my Father has given me to accomplish, these very works I am doing, they testify about me that the Father has sent me. So just, you've been watching what I've been doing. This shows I am who I claim to be. Even Nicodemus saw this in John 3 earlier. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. They knew it. They didn't want to believe that, though. They didn't want to embrace him as that. They, they, they had some questions. First question, how dare you, Jesus, interrupt what we're doing? He, he says, well, we know you're... You're someone, a teacher who come, has come from God. Why, why do we know that? For no one could perform these signs that you do unless God were with him. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. What did he say? He says, you're right, Nicodemus, and I've come to give you life. And if, if you want life, you can have it. It means being born again. If you, if you don't want life, you're not going to have it. And he went on to tell him what that meant. So we see John the baptizer was a witness. The works of Jesus witnessed to the fact that he came from God. And then we have the word of God. Go back to John 5, looking at verses 38 and 39. Here's what he says to the Pharisees. You don't have his, that is the Father's word, residing in you because you don't believe in the one he sent. He's like, you have the word, you have the instructions, you have the map. It all points, X marks a spot on Jesus. I'm here but you don't have the word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. He's right here in front of you. you. He says you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me. We don't have eternal life in the scriptures. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ, the one the scriptures point to and speak about. He goes on in verse 45. If we jump down to 45. He says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses. Like Jesus is not saying, I'm going to go tell on you. He's like, you're in so much trouble anyway, and, and there's so much that speaks against you. All this testimony is against your unbelief. In fact, Moses is going to be your accuser. And they, I mean, they're riled up now. Like, how dare you? We trust Moses. We believe Moses. He says, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. He's your accuser. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote about me. Like, you, you still don't see it. The one you trust most fervently. You don't see me through his writing. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you ever even believe my words? My words. Why? Why would they not believe his words? I, this is the, the kind of the end all of what we're talking about today. Verse, remember what verse 6 said? He, he said to the man who was an invalid, what? He asked him, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? And verse 40 exposes the heart of most people that were coming in contact with Jesus. Verse 40 says, You are not willing to come to me 
so that you may have life. Everything here points to me. Everything here is all about me, but you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Remember the point of the encounter earlier? What was the point? The point was that Jesus wanted to heal for the sake of our salvation and our holiness. He wants us to know that he is there as the Messiah, the Son of God, God of God in the flesh to give you life. It's one thing to to know the Word of God and it's an entirely different thing to know the God of the Word. You could have read the Bible forwards and backwards, left and right, up and down, and still have missed the Messiah. The very one, the entire book was written about. It doesn't matter what you know. It matters who you know. He's the only one in whom we find real life and forgiveness. I want to go back to this as we close, this thought between the what and the who. You know, sometimes we get caught up in, in the what and the how. That's how we make a Sabbath. Here's the rules. Don't pluck a gray hair. Got it, okay. Don't lift a mat after you get healed. Okay, check. We're all these rules we put out there, all the what and the how, and we forget about the why. And, and the why? The why is a who. And the who is you. And the who is me. Jesus, who is God with us, is here for you. Jesus, who is God with us, is here for me. And what is he here to do to establish the rest for our souls and to give us life that we really need. He's here to reveal that he is the answer to your every need. In him is life. He is life, and he has come to give you life. And he asks, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? Are you willing to see yourself for who you are? Are you willing to acknowledge your sin? Are you willing to turn from your sin and turn to him in faith and be forgiven if so cry out to him turn to him and say god you're you're my god you're my savior it's not about doing all the right things it's about the fact that you have done everything for me today we celebrate the lord's table we're going to come up here and remember in remembrance of him in a few minutes and as we do this 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 is a prime example of the who and the why and not the what and the how if you're here and you're like okay the lord's table let me gear up for this i got to do this right if i don't do this right and someone sees it man that god's not going to like that This is not about checking off another thing on your list. This is coming and saying, he checked them all off for me. He's done everything that I need. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's the one who has taken care of it. When he died for me, it was finished. When he rose from the grave, he conquered death so that I can have life in him. It's not about the what and the how for you and I. He did a lot of what's and how's in order to accomplish that. But for you and I, it's about believing that he did that for you. And so we partake in the Lord's Supper today. We come saying, God, thank you. Thank you that you called me, that you asked if I wanted to be healed. Thank you that when I responded to you in faith, you healed me. Thank you for giving me life. And when I celebrate you today through the taking of the, of the body and the blood, I celebrate the fact that Jesus paid it all for Many of us have repented from our sin and trusted him to forgive and to save and to give us life. And that's what we're going to celebrate today. As the body comes together, we celebrate 
the Lord's table, we remember what he has done, that he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice. He didn't die because he was accused and guilty. He died because we were guilty. He offered himself in our place. He shed his blood for our sin, that through faith in Christ, we could be forgiven and made whole. This is not about a ritualistic tradition. This isn't about accomplishing something. It's acknowledging that it has already been accomplished for us. Through his death and life and resurrection, he's made a way for us to believe and to have life together. As we look at our story, again, the theme is not, let's cover every minutia of John 5, 1 through 47. The theme is that that was written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his would you stand with me as we pray and transition to the celebration of the Lord's table? Father, I thank you so much for your great love that you've showed us even, even while we were dead in our sins, you died for us. You made a way for us to be made whole. You came to us and asked, do you want to be well? And God, those of us who have responded in faith and turned to you in that faith, have been made well and made whole through the blood of Christ. God, today as we partake in remembrance of the Lord's table, of what you've done, God, I pray that you would help us to reflect in our own heart. God, to, to remember. God, to put ourselves in a position of great humility because of what you have done. As we, as we partake, that we would do it as a witness and a remembrance of who you are. We thank you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.